We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Wednesday, the ninth day of November, the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams, and we have two very special guests today from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. We're joined by Weston and Melissa. It is great to have you both on, but Bruce, I will start with you. How are you today? Healthy and alive. Uh, doing well, as usual. Uh, yeah, looking forward to see uh, where this conversation leads. I am as well. And Weston, it's good to have you back. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Johnny? I'm fantastic. If I felt any better, it wouldn't be legal. So I'm glad to do. Uh, <laughs> glad to have you on today. And Melissa, we have you on as well. It has been an absolute pleasure. We met briefly last week, and I'm looking forward to this conversation today. I think it's going to be absolutely fantastic. How are you today? And thank you for joining us. I am well. Thank you for having me on. Looking forward to it. I, I love, I, I listen every week when Weston gets this posted, I listen and I think you're having some really good conversations. Well, so I hope I'm much. only a nice addition. I'm sure that you will be as, uh, as just, as just the, you know, the usual off topic stuff that we've been discussing, uh, before we've been recording here, I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be great. As a matter of fact, I was telling Bruce last week, I said, after we'd all finished up, I said, she's going to be on next week with us. I said, that's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and one of the things you mentioned last week was disinformation, all of the, the disinformation that's out there in the alternative media. And I thought, man, that is going to be a great topic to discuss because there's so much of it. Everything that we've seen, we're, we're hearing all the buzzwords and phrases from everybody in the establishment media and the, you know, the Bill Gates types and everything else saying, oh, my goodness, we've got to censor everybody and and we've got to control the flow of misinformation and disinformation when, in fact, they're all the source of it in the mainstream media and everything. But I don't really want to discuss that. I mean, everything within the mainstream media and every little talking head that you see, like Klaus Schwab and, and all these spokespeople they have at like the Davos forums and, and the United Nations and everything, we can talk about those people spreading misinformation and disinformation all day long. What was fascinating, and I've put so much thought into it this week, was the point that you raised last week, and that is how much disinformation there is and misinformation there is in the alternate media as in not the mainstream media sources, and how much of that is actually controlled opposition. So let's start there. Where would you like to begin in that topic? And then we will just expand on it from there. Okay, so I guess one of the starting points, and I was thinking about doing the clip, but then I'm sure we have plenty to talk about, so I didn't do it. But there's a clip in the February 14, 2021 uh, Allen blurb that I, I recently posted a transcript of on the website, coming And in that blurb, he was saying, you know, in particular, like he just gave an example of, uh, you know, they they understand that people, uh, you know, especially who are interested in sort of the alternate media movement or uh, in conservative politics and things like that, they typically have, or at least many of them do, and they typically care a lot about children. And so a lot, one of the things that they proposed, they were promoting a lot of in disinfo on that Alan was paying attention to was uh, the pedophilia and the pedophile rings and how they're everywhere. And like, you know, and he gave the example, there's a, there's a young woman in Britain, I think she was, uh, she had Down syndrome. And, uh, you know, they were just uh, exaggerating. I think it was Brian Garish. It was, uh, I, it that was, was Brian Garish. Running, uh, just to interject really quickly. He had come out when he came on the scene, he was talking about common purpose and um, what he called quangos, which you could look at, it was a word I never really wrapped my head around, but it's kind of a small local level public-private partnership. But Common Purpose did on a local level in the UK, a lot of what Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum did with the young global leaders. They were grooming in, in the uh, proper sense of the word, if there is a proper, but they were grooming young children to be tomorrow's leaders. 
and and teenagers and university level people. But that's what so he was exposing some good work there. And then all of a sudden he did a 180 and spent the next year talking about this poor Down syndrome child in Scotland that evidently everybody wanted to sleep with. Yeah, the whole police force of the country. And, and everyone was involved in this scandal. And it was it was at best a distraction, but at, at worst, uh, I'm not sure what we were looking at, it, you know. We actually ended well, yesterday talking about uh, those exact networks. Uh, that was our, our final point. That was our final topic. And uh, it's, it's interesting you bring that up uh, today. Looking at, at those networks that they create, and I, I mean, it, they're used in every sphere, in the political sphere, in the entertainment world, uh, in academia, the, these things, they're used everywhere. That's how they compromise people now. That's how they get people to to do what they want. If you go back and you look in the um, uh, in the nineteen twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, if you go back into that era, we still had in America and in the West, we still had the family unit. We still had a strong family foundation based on values. And and if you were someone that was found to be uh, in a monogamous relationship outside, you know, with an extramarital affair, that was frowned upon. That would stain your reputation through the community and when we got infiltrated by Marxists over and over and over again, you know, in different areas of society, and we got compromised, things had to change. Once they destroyed the family unit, things had to change. But they built their networks based on that. And that's how they compromise people. Once they compromise people within these circles, then you can get them to carry your message. You can get them to carry your agenda. Does that extend? Uh, how I guess, how far do you think that that extends, in, in your opinion? Does it extend into other alternative sources? Does it, I mean, does it go through... Um, Areas of like entertainment companies, mainstream media corporations, this this kind of thing. I mean, I honestly, I think that kind of goes without saying. But does it go into other areas that we otherwise might not look? What do you think? Well, I I mean, it, we're a little bit into conjecture here, but I would think so. I mean, one of the things there is a a good book that I mentioned last week, Francis uh, Stoner Saunders, and it's called The Cultural Cold War. Do you remember the subtitle of that? It's CIA in the World of Letters or something. Yeah. And it it shows, uh, it's an interesting history of the formation of the OSS after World War II, and then the subsequent creation of the CIA and their involvement. Now, the way, the, the history that she got was um, going through basically public record, things that were publicly available on the formation of the CIA. And she's showing how the CIA launched a program to basically demoralize the Soviet by a type of art that would be available within the West that they were not getting in the Soviet Union to show what they purported to be freedom. This is what democracies do. This is the kind of music that democracies listen to. This is the art that they look at. This is the theater that they perform and go to. But when you're really looking at, you're looking at something very subversive and you are actually looking at cultural warfare waged on the West. But the point that I was getting to was they were doing this after World War II. You had intelligence agencies creating and controlling media and culture, why would it be different today? Yeah, we don't have all, everything declassified today. We don't know exactly which foundations are funding what, or that might be actually be CIA money or taxpayer money, really, or what might be, or what sort of operations the CIA, all the particular details of what they're doing right now is, because they're all secretive. But based on what they've done in the past, and the fact that they've actually started up like real companies in the past, so as the KGB and other intelligence agencies, because there's no reason to believe that they aren't doing that right now. And they haven't already done that, right? They haven't been doing it right away. One, one thing that Alan Watt used to cite regularly was something that he had seen um, on Canadian television. And I haven't found it. You know, he taped a lot of things. He put things on VHS. If he was watching something or listening to it, he'd record it on a cassette, you know, old tech, but he'd grab it. But he was listening to a program, and he's mentioned this often on Canadian television that said that the American CIA had basically created what we call the U.S. Patriot Movement. And it was a Toronto Star. Toronto Star. Like a, I think it was like a newspaper. Yeah. So um, we don't have the 
declassified information, but we just have to assume that's what they're still doing. Right. Right. You know, I I had heard, and I, again, this I, anything involving this would, would be classified. But if you look at the people that founded Google, if you look at people that founded uh, Twitter, as in like the concepts of it, those were all from the institutions. And these people that, that went through those institutions were sponsored by those CIA programs at Harvard, at Yale, at Stanford, uh, and things like that, just like Klaus Schwab. He went through the programs mm -hmm. at Harvard under Henry Kissinger and a guy named uh, John K. Galbraith, which, Weston, you're familiar with him, as well as another guy by the name of Herman Kahn. He's the founder of the Hudson Institute. These people, they go through these institutions, they get educated by these CIA-sponsored programs, and then they come out and they do their bidding. You know, Klaus Schwab, who was this guy? He was a nobody. He was an absolute nobody. And then he rises to this uh, th this international uh, whatever, this mastermind. Uh, now, come on. He, he sponsored. Level. Yeah, exactly. Bond villain. Like this whole persona is just like everything that we've been able to dig up on this guy. Everything is is a shell. It's fake. None of it's real. And uh, he's he's literally we've tracked it back. He's literally collected a paycheck 36 months of his entire life. That's all the actual work he's done. When he got out of the university, out of the, um, the programs at Harvard under the tutelage of Henry Kissinger, he was given their degree. The CIA gives out one honorary degree to a Harvard graduate every year. Klaus Schwab got it. And after he came really? out of that, he did. After he came out of that, he went to a company in Switzerland that was owned and run by his father for a long period of time. He immediately took a board seat on that company and transformed that company from a machine company into a technology company. He did that mm -hmm. for 36 months. And then all of a sudden, he gets to uh, create this organization called the European Economic Symposium or the European Management Symposium, excuse me. All of a sudden, you've got hundreds, if not thousands of royalty, politicians, academics, business people all coming to Switzerland every year for this giant meeting of the minds and business and academics and royalty and politics, like everything, banking heads. And it's like, wait a minute, th this guy who has collected a paycheck for three years now has all of this pull over all of these people, all these media companies and everything, and they're all just going to show up based on this guy saying, yeah, you need to be there. I don't think so. That's right. Yeah. Weston and I were looking at the uh, corporate report for the World Economic Forum. What was that? Like a couple of weeks ago, we pulled that up. The reason why is because I had stumped. This was not news, but I had stumbled again over something about the World Economic Forum awarding Canada. I think it was like a hundred billion. Well, it was about a hundred million, I think. But it was a big grant, and um, the the reason for the grant was so that they could study and then implement some kind of a vaccine passport. Right. And Weston was looking at the financial report uh, with me, and we were saying, "Well, where did they get that money?" So we're looking at the bottom line, it, you know, and it's kind of vague the way they do in corporations. Well, we're completely funded by um, our members, our corporate members, and that membership is on a sliding scale. So a big company is going to pay X, a smaller company is going to pay, you know, but I'm like, well, wait a minute. I don't have all of those amounts in front of me, but if I just say how many members that they have, get out my calculator. There is no way that this company, I, what were there? It was in Swiss francs, but I think that there, it was something like 600 and some thousand Swiss francs was what they had in their, you know, their year. That was their year end for, I believe, 2020. So there, there you go. They have 660,000 thousand Swiss francs, but they can go around the world offering grants of a hundred million to countries. <laughs> right, right. And it's it's just and it, it makes you wonder, you know, I, I look at and kind of getting back to uh, the, the misinformation and disinformation. Again, this World Economic Forum, they're, they're also another group that openly advocates on their Twitter account, which they have all their comments disabled, by the way, you can't respond to any of them. They say that, yes, we've got to crack down on misinformation and disinformation. What do you think? But then you can't respond. And so how much of that money actually goes into funding those things? If you look at guys like George Soros, for example, George Soros spends hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars every year 
going around the world, buying up or starting little media companies to promote his agenda. So how much of that is actually done on the other side? You know, I look at I look at these uh, these things in the U.S. Like I, I don't know if you're familiar. With it. Have you heard of like Turning Point? You know, these feel good motivational speeches. Oh, yeah. This, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, I look at this stuff and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, is this actual conservatism? Like you've got prominent faces out there promoting this thing, talking about, oh, this is the face of the new opposition. If that's what opposition looks like, I don't want anything to do with that. That is nothing but confetti cannons and fog machines. The country is going down in flames. The economy is in shambles. And we're talking about red waves and, and like feel good uh, conferences. And we've got fireworks and stuff going off. Like, what is this stuff? That's funny that you say turning point as an example, because I was going through the mail and sometimes the inbox just gets so full and I have to prioritize it very quickly in my mind, what needs to be dealt with. So I just went bam, 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 going into spam, right? Well, turning point was the very first one. I get this newsletter from that. Who knows how you end up on people's mailing list, but uh, they, they hit the spam box today. <laughs> I think uh, like an example on the Left wing side, I was just re- I just recently had read uh, Jack Salul's Autopsy of Revolution, and uh, which is you know Jack Salul is one of the few authors you know, that Alan really respected. You know he thought he was a good philosopher, and one of the things that he he pointed out in that book was that the left wing. It was this was back in the 1970s, early 1970s, late 1960s. He wrote the book. He said the left wing at the time that were promoting the sexual revolution, they were also at that time pushing back against consumerism. And they were pushing it back against, you know, uh, you know, basically, you know, they want freedom, you know, like, you know, they're, they're encroaching on the, on the liberties and freedoms and sort of government surveillance and all that stuff. And but they were they were also pushing back against consumer consumerism. And Jackson Little pointed out these are the same people who promote who love Marquis de Sade and they promote Marquis de Sade, whose name is where the word sadism rise from. And the whole idea or one of the main ideas of Marquis de Sade is the commodification of man or you know, basically, you know, turning, you know, people like viewing people as products, which drive you know, your, your happiness and pleasure from this. So, so basically, this is this is how this is a dead giveaway. This is a controlled opposition. This is a not real genuine opposition or genuine revolution. I guess the system is just going to absorb this. And uh, which, of course, it has, you know, it has absorbed the sort of the sexual revolution. And now you have uh, all sorts of financialization of it, of, you know, free love, free sex. So, you know, they, they basically, you, there's always these little telltale signs that you can tell, like, okay, this is uh, this is not real opposition. But basically, there's certain, like, you know, for example, promoting market, they said you can do, like, you can tell, okay, these people aren't actually against consumerism. We started off this conversation. You were saying, well, how deeply infiltrated do you think what we call the so-called alternate side is? And we we really haven't gotten back around to answering that. But one thing that crossed my mind, Alan used to talk about the music industry and how it was controlled, how it worked. He said people at the top, it you know, and he had witnessed some of this, wasn't speculative, but he said that, you know, committees, people, or he'd describe them as old guys that wear tweed suits would decide where the culture needed to go and uh, therefore what groups needed to be created to bring the culture in that direction. And he said, you'd have the authorized groups, you know, a few of them for each genre of music. Those were the ones that were brought out. They were groomed. The musicians were picked or, you know, they were told how to dress. They Everything about them was totally controlled, like you think of the old Hollywood studio system. Then what you had, and this, this was a natural occurrence, what happened next is you have all of the wannabe bands. So they see what's authorized, they see what's popular. So at any given time, how many people are going to sound like the Beatles or U2 or whatever? You know, so they are all mimicking what is authorized. And I think that that is what is going on in the in the alternate world. I think that you have some authorized alternate voices and then you have a lot of people who want to make bank and they see, oh, if we're decrying uh, mandated vaccinations, if we're decrying um, election fraud or whatever it is, then we are going to get a lot of subscribers and, and viewers and, and, and this is good. And so those are two 
elements of it. I see the cats. <laughs> I'm a cat lover, so I had to comment. But um, so those are two elements, and I think that that there may be genuine grassroots resistance. However, what a lot of those people fall victim to is the information that is out there for them to consume and regurgitate. And there you have the sad paucity of reliable information out there. Yeah, I, I think that what you said there is like that is that is spot on. I, I hadn't really looked at it in in that much detail, all t- you know, kind of tying everything together as you did. Uh, but I think you're absolutely right. You know, one of the things that uh, that really stood out to me when I was becoming politically aware. And as I was telling you privately last week, Alan Watt, he he played a key role in that in getting me to to see things as they were rather than how things were promoted. And he wasn't right or left or or whatever, you know, that's they want to keep you in that paradigm. He wasn't that. He was outside of all of that, showing you exactly what the agenda was from both ends and how they were controlling both sides of it. That to me was where the truth was. And and how he articulated himself, it made so much sense. And, and it just it clicked in my head. I don't know what it was like. It was like getting smacked in the face with a pillow. That's kind of what it was. It didn't hurt. But it was it was like, okay, it's time for you to pay attention now. You know, that was kind of what it was. That's how it felt like. And he encouraged me to step outside of what I'd known my entire life and to formulate my own opinion based on my own research, using him as a guide, you know, using the points that he would bring up as, as a guide. And I can't help but think that we see that same iteration of what you're describing with like the entertainment industry. I can't help but think that we're seeing that not only in things like what we do here or in what you guys do or what you see in things like social media. You know, we talked about what uh, possibly went wrong at like Facebook. But again, you had guys and, and organizations and outfits that were picked specifically to create such platforms. And then everything else kind of mimicked that. That's how everything went. Were we supposed to have two or three companies, major uh, tech companies? Are they supposed to be steering the way that things go? Are we supposed to be buying a new Apple iPhone every 12 months? Are we supposed to be paying attention yeah. to what's trending on Twitter? <laughs> like these these things have real social consequences and real social implications. And I'd said before when we were discussing in prep this short conversation we were having, I said, how much of this is actually controlled opposition? Because I see all of the, the little alternative networks and things and, and I see everybody talking about like just fluff as in like they just get their talking points and the people that they have on, the guests that they have on, we've tried. We've legitimately tried to have those people on and they just they dodge the uh, the invites. Uh, I mean, they'll accept them at first and they say, oh, yeah, we will come on. No problem. Or their people will correspond with us, their handlers or whatever. They'll they'll correspond with us and we'll set up times and schedules. But they delay. They don't show up. They cancel or, or whatever. You know, we've wasted days sitting in here waiting for people to show up that said that they were going to be there and they just don't. And I, I wonder how much of this is actually just a sham that we're watching. You know, I, I'm not I'm not anybody that's uh, of any consequence. At least I don't think so. N- none of us, uh, at least on here, n- none of us are. I have just spent my adult life trying to get to the truth. That's all I've ever wanted to do. I've wanted to make sure that the right information gets to the right people. And that's it. I really don't have any other agenda outside of that. I don't take big corporate money. I don't have like Coca-Cola sponsorships or or uh, whatever uh, water filter company or whatever Weston was talking about in prep or whatever vitamin or whatever. I mean, if that's something that comes along, you know, if it's an actual product and Bruce and I've talked about this before, if it's an actual product that we both uh, agree on, we believe in, we actually use ourselves. Sure. No problem. But I'm not and we're not at least we're not going to be beholden to talking points, agendas or whoever's going to come along and give us cash and say, um, yeah, you can do whatever you want except for this, this, and this. You can't, t- you can't talk about that. Uh, yes, I damn mm-hmm. well will. I, I mean, we stay within the guidelines and the terms of service on the platforms that we're on because we have to, but I feel as though we need to have the actual dialogue. We need to talk about real issues and not dodge uh, whatever and, and talk about like these, like all this stuff, like turning point, that's all a waste of time. Everything that, that involves that, that is a waste of time. We're wasting mm-hmm. time. 
a knowledgeable public were losing. And it's because of crap like that that gets shoved in front of everybody. They go to these things and they think they're actually doing good and they're saving their democracy, which we're not even a democracy. Like this is it's a waste of time, in my opinion. We're, we're not actually addressing any of the issues that need to be fixed. Well, I'm not in this to fluff up your ego, but I would disagree that none of us are of any consequence because Alan used to say that your neighborhood plumber is probably as good a guy to go to to find out about what's going on in the world as any of these so-called experts, these talking heads that are put out for us to follow and listen to. Do you honestly, for a minute, think that any of these yappers, these paid yappers, have any wisdom to impart to you? They don't. So I would rather talk to you know, the man on the street, I'd rather talk to the two of you. I'd rather talk to my local plumber, although I hope it's not because of something wrong with my sink. But, you know, I, I think that there there is just very little truth out there. And that's one of the things, you know, just to toot Alan's horn again. When I first came upon him, the the, the reaction that I had was like a rocket went off in my head. You know, this man is telling the truth and I'm not sure I've ever heard it before. And I think that 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 is what is so missing. There's such a danger with people who get a platform to blind us with science or overwhelm, dazzle us with all of the research they've done, you know, amaze us with their long study and everything that they know and they've acquired. But where is the truth? Where's the wisdom? Where's the thinking for themselves? Because the four of us, we can think for ourselves. That's huge. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Johnny the you know that Alan you know sort of like his sort of guidance and this sort of role and you know, waking people up because that was one of the things I wanted to talk about you know uh, you know Melissa had mentioned in uh, Sunday's Redux this past Sunday that uh, one of the listeners had commented that uh, if you got a quarter if he got a quarter every single time he heard Alan Watt mention Carol Quigley he'd be he'd be uh, rich you know because uh, he kept on repeating certain things over and over again and, you know I think a lot of people. Make it, you know, may criticize him for that, but really, it makes him sound like he, you know, can't, uh, you know, he just, he just, you know, just repeats himself over and over. But really, it is important and necessary to do that to help people because, uh, first of all, most people don't want, to, at least in this day and age, uh, most people don't want to read things, and so, you know, hopefully, if he repeats himself enough, you know, and talked about how important or how or gives you the the interesting quote in the book, hopefully, you eventually you'll you actually want to go and find it yourself. But also, like he would even go even earlier than Carol Quigley, you know, those things like Plato's Republic, he would mention a lot, or Thomas More's Utopia. And I think what he's really giving you is historical context and a basic education so that you are not... Uh, Clonable. Yeah, so you won't be so easily tricked, is that really what he's trying to do. One of the listeners emailed in yesterday and said that, that Alan's breadth and depth of history was so large that, he, that Alan was simply not conable. And I liked that. I thought that was a good way of putting it. But I, I think it's also the ability that he had to always rise above the fray. I keep thinking about that because that is the missing element in 99% of what's out there in the alternate world is context. It is the history. It is putting things in. So all you're getting is fact, but you're not really sure what you're supposed to do with this and how does it apply to you? And week in and week out, he was reminding us, hey, you may not want to believe this and it might be hard for you to wrap your heads around, but you're born into a system that is entirely created to control you. And I think if we don't have some kind of a forum where we can say this, then in other words, everything in that system of control, whether it is authorized or alternate or so-called resisting the authorized, that's the dialectic. You've got to get out of that on your own. You've got to guide yourself to your own conclusion. And my conclusion is, sadly, there is very, very little of truth. You know, there'll be people I tune into and I go, oh, yeah, great. They got that part. That, that's good. But the big picture, that's what we seem to be missing right now, that the, the thinkers who can keep reminding us the big picture here.
I like how you mentioned Carol Quigley. Uh, Alan is the, Alan Watt is the reason that I started to read Carol Quigley uh, and to study his works. And I've actually Me I was too. showing Weston a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm showing I was showed him a book. Uh, it was actually a manuscript that was written by Quigley, and it wasn't found until after he died. And I haven't read it yet. Ooh. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll show it to you as soon as we uh, as soon as we finish. But no, uh, you're absolutely right. The historical context that that's what we wanted to do from the start of this thing when we got into these issues. You know, we weren't even supposed to actually do a podcast on what we do now. It's just COVID happened and the world went to hell and we started doing other things and it just turned into this. But I was reading uh, Quigley before that. And one of the things yeah. that that Quigley talked about in Tragedy and Hope, I think that's his best book. But one of the things he talked about in there was in the beginning, in, in the foreword of it, in, in the preface, he says that one of the things that his students convinced him of was that his way isn't always the right way. You know how academics can be like that, especially when they're at that level. They get kind of, you know, myopic views of things. And so at that level, he, at least Quigley, he kept an open mind to things and it didn't allow him to uh, to have a like a, a closed off view of the world like a lot of people do, uh, albeit not in the uh, the academic sense. But he mentions in that book about what it means to be someone that thinks for themselves. And that is people don't want to make decisions for themselves. They just don't. I, I don't know. I guess maybe it's just the human condition. But he says people don't want to take the time to critically think about something, evaluate their possible alternatives, and then make a decision knowing it could be the wrong one. And then that decision could lead to a string of other bad decisions. And you're in an entirely different place that you never wanted to be in the first place. But that's risk. That's life. And so I think by doing these things, by by taking that risk and, and by finding out what works, what doesn't, that's human nature. We've got mm -hmm. to step out of this, this closed off, controlled world that they want everybody in. And they just want to double down and make it worse with where they're going to take this with this whatever this is with this social credit nonsense that, that Schwab and his ilk want to do down there in, in Switzerland. That's not a free world. That's that's hell on earth. Uh, and I want no part of that. I don't want to live in some dystopian or whatever uh, nightmare. My forebears didn't do what they did in the Second World War to be lorded over by people like this. And I'm certainly not going to sit here and allow myself to be controlled by whatever these people shove at me. So yeah, I, I agree. It It's going to take more than that. And I, I talk to a lot of people and I impart that to them. Everybody's looking for some kind of a, a savior to come along and, and save them, right? Like a Donald Trump. How ridiculous is that? Or whoever they're going to vote for on today's election day. Again, how ridiculous is that? The people are the solution to this problem. It's that simple. As in, mm -hmm. you are. I, I've been saying that for years. You're the solution to this problem, the independent, free thinking person. You're the solution to this. I ask people all the time when they say, well, what do you do? And, you know, what do you what do you do to whatever it is you're doing to, to fight this? And I tell them and they say, oh, well, thank you. And I say, OK, I appreciate you thanking me. What are you doing? Because what you're doing and what you're going to do is going to be more important than what I'm doing. So what are you doing? And they just kind of sit there and they look at me. Like, what do you mean? You mean I'm going to have to do something? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's how this works. So, yeah, I, I, I completely concur with you. Yeah, I, that's just my own personal take on it. And I I appreciate you kind of fluffing my ego up there a little bit. Uh, I, again, I, I feel like I'm just the average guy. You know, I, I'm just somebody that cares. That That's all. That's all that average I am. Average guys are important. That's what I'm saying. You know, we average yeah. men and women, we really are. It, it's up to us. So whether we think we're of consequence or not is, I mean, I've said this before to Weston, it is intimidating sometimes if I think I try not to think very much that I'm opening my mouth and then putting something up on Alan Watts website. I, you know, I just don't want to think about that that much because that's terrifying. And it is also silencing because I think, well, I don't know enough. I didn't read all those. I only read the And Weston will have the same thing. Well, I'm just not, you know, but I've said to him, we have to, we have to be ready. I mean, this is what we're doing and we are ready like it or not, because this is required of us. It's required of you. It's required of Bruce. It's required of everybody out there not to wait for John Wayne or Clint Eastwood or Donald Trump. We've got to do something every single day. And, you know, that part that what you're describing, that fear, well, it might be the wrong thing. And so that is what 
gets people and they can, some people are even so good about futurizing, I call it, or worrying, but that they can see so far into the future of that one action that they literally don't do anything. But uh, that is not being alive. To be alive is to risk. It is to make mistakes. It's to make a fool of yourself, maybe. And, that, you know, I think that's part of the waking up process is, you know, as, as, you know, there's always people all have their own vices, their own faults. Addictions are, are very common. But, you know, part of waking up experience, or at least like the first initial step is, you know, even though you're you're, you're you, you can't say sit down and read a thick book or read some bureaucraties because you, you know, because you don't have the focusing ability or you're suffering from the effects of withdrawal or whatever, even just whatever little you can get about, even that little bit of effort, that's just, that's the necessary step to waking up. And it's, it's, it's the right step. I mean, it's, even if it is just a small, a little, you know, okay, a, you're just a little more knowledgeable, you're just a little more awake than you were before. It's completely worth it you need to put aside the syringe or whatever and, and, you know, focus on you know doing something that uh, you feel is 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 right, or at least is something that's going to make you your understanding of reality better or more accurate at the very least. And, and of course, that's just the initial step. There's all you know, sorts of sorts of other things you can do, including I think Alan Watt mentioned this in Sunday's Redux that you know there's no time for personal gain. Like like stop doing things just for for personal gain for income and say okay maybe you know even though I'm not going to even though this is, there's this is of little financial value, I'm going to do this because I feel it's right and. Um, I think uh, there needs to be more people doing that sort of thing, you know, especially, I mean, because so many people are focused on their careers and part of being focused on your career is that you don't, you know, touch anything with touch certain topics with a 10 foot pole. And, you know, and you don't, you know, if they tell you to wear a mask, if they tell you to get vaccinated, if they tell you to, uh, you know, allow to call some uh, transgender person, whatever the preferred pronoun is or whatever, I mean, you're going to do it. Because you want that job, that income, and you want you want to gain. You, you climb up the ladder in a career in your career path. I was watching um, Trump's pre-election in Pennsylvania rally, his little pep rally, just just for the fun of it, the other night. But what what mesmerized me was the comment section on the right of uh, the picture of Trump waving his hands and talking and promoting Dr. Oz. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, the, but the chat box was just crazy. It was full of people with their little emojis and stupid nonsensical stuff. And I thought, you know, we all have to do something, but commenting on a video, commenting on a politician, that is not doing anything. And see all these people then they'll over their beer or the next day at work. Oh, yeah. Did you see that thing I put up there? And did you I really comment? Well, that does nothing. It's participating in a system that is given to us and it doesn't change it one iota. I, I, lo- I love how you bring that up because I was hoping at some point the conversation was going to go this direction. Thank you, Weston, for steering it that way. Uh, and thank you, Melissa, for bringing up Dr. Oz. I'm glad you did that. I, uh, I actually brought this point up to you last week. And I said this idea that we're taking uh, with, uh, like, say, for example, the the primary elections. Okay, the primary election. For those that don't know, because we have a lot of people outside of the U.S. that are not familiar with our election process. So let me explain really quickly. We have two candidates for each party that run in a primary to find out who's going to be on the ballot in the general election. So we vie over who who's going to be the candidate. We have our primary votes, and then that determines who's going to be running later down the line. So here's my point to kind of piggyback on what you were saying. You have two candidates on the Republican side. I really don't care about the Democrat side because they're going to throw up whoever they throw up anyway, and it doesn't really matter. But the Republican side, we tend to pay a little bit more of attention as to who the primary candidate is going to be. I can't stand this idea any longer of this nonsensical I, th- I think the whole thing's nonsensical, but breaking it down to, to a subcomponent is we spend our time bashing one candidate or the other. And then when that person doesn't make it to the general election or the person that does get bashed makes it to the general election, then all of a sudden we have to get behind that candidate because that's our guy. Even though we spent, oh, I don't know, uh, thousands of dollars running a, a, an ad campaign against him just a few weeks ago. Where's mm-hmm. the call for people to stand up and say, I don't want either one of you. What, what, what is this? I, I'm not interested in having either candidate. I don't care if it's a Republican, a Democrat, an independent or a Green Party person. I don't care. I'm not interested in any of you. Where's that call? This idea that we have to choose between Fetterman 
and and Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, and this is somehow going to affect the balance of power in the Senate. And everybody that was against Oz in the primaries is suddenly for him. And, and again, I'll reference Turning Point because that's exactly who it is. Where's the call to reject all of it? That's what needs to happen, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, Ellen would often say, you know, if if voting made a difference, they'd make it illegal. And it it really, I mean, when you do, you know, there are a lot of people who will scream at me for saying this, but when you vote, you're participating in uh, uh, the Punch and Judy show. The agenda is on the books for decades and it's going forward no matter what party's in power. Thomas Jefferson talked about that and it is the case today and it will always be the case because there's an agenda behind this that is over. You know, the the bird has got two wings. What's above the bird? What is the whole bird? And people don't notice that. They just keep thinking, well, this next election, it will be different. Was it different? No. When they got their guy in with Trump, was it different? No, they spent four years throwing tomatoes at him in a most vicious way. That's what was done. Bruce, you've been awful quiet. I would really like for you to get in there. Part of the uh, what what happened with you brought up Trump and the the whole situation there. I've actually, uh, at least from a looking at it with the the political nonsense that we deal with, I actually enjoyed. Uh, seeing all of this happen. Now, it, it it frustrates me, but I enjoy it because it's clarifying. It makes it clearer for the average person that um, w- with all the nonsense that's going on, uh, they get to see it. You know, that that that's the with the elections going on right now, the, the whole voting process, we had all the hysteria about, well, the the, you know, the cheating or the um, discrepancies and all that kind of stuff. I'm actually hoping they do that this time, too. Because I'm someone, I still think the process can benefit us. That I'm, I'm still, but the problem is, is there's nothing, there's nothing there. There's no content there that we, as an example, my vote, whether I vote for, uh, you know, uh, Governor Stitt for my state, uh, I mean, he's done good by the, but he's not the fullness of what I want. He, he doesn't complete everything I want in a governor, right? It's just kind of the the controlled opposition of what it is. You know, it's the 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 acceptable version of it. The 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 politician that I would have in pl- that I would put in would be considered an extremist uh by anybody's standards. Um but it, it it's not possible. So um to to what you you're saying about uh, the the whole political system, it, it just your votes don't matter. I agree. But it's not uh, but from my perspective, it's not necessarily your votes don't matter because uh, some fraud or or whatever or or the dialectic or any of that. It's it's literally because we don't have anybody to vote for that is truly about affecting change. That's truly about the people or in this case, the Constitution. We don't have anybody doing any of those things. They're about a, a greater agenda, as, as you're saying. There, there's there's something else afoot. That's what's frustrating. But. I'm glad the problems are showing themselves, uh, like with the elections and everything, because it's waking people up. They're starting to realize something's wrong, and they're they're researching for themselves. I, I I'm like every like everyone else here. Truth is is like more important than most things. I should say. There's still some, you know. I'm I'm religious, so God is up there, but God and truth are you know together. So yeah. So for me, truth is like. That's where it's founded. It's in my religious beliefs. So it, it's, it's you know, that comes first. So it, it, it's really, I yeah, I'm all that to say, even though the system is broken and it doesn't work, uh, it's still bringing about clarity. It's still bringing about truth and, and triggering people to do their own research, to, to, to try to, to um, be aware. Well, we don't have an alternative to this system. I mean, there may be one that arises if enough people were ever to, I'm cynical, but were ever to wake up and see reality, but we don't have an alternative. So I'm all for whatever the matrix is that we find ourselves in, whether we're having a discussion about religion or a discussion about politics, any chinks in the armor of this manufactured system 
that people notice, that's a good thing, I, I think. I have to agree. And to that part of the, well, this is the best worst system we can like this is uh, the best system that we've come up with so far and it's just it's obviously not perfect and the thing is is in my limited view i don't know of anything that would work better i guess where 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 it comes down to is uh the, the founding fathers basically saying that for this system to work you have to have a moral and just people we haven't had a moral and just people for a very long time so this system is broken now it doesn't work uh so you you have to get back to those truths. And it's not even just truths, it's universal truths. Some of the basic things that we we, we kind of, we've talked about on other shows about like uh, the, the whole transgenderism and, and uh, you know, uh, perverting everything that we have to get that out of our system. We have to get that out. It's cancer. It's causing so much damage, but it it's, I think it's to a greater point of um, by dislodging us from Anything that we believe in, uh, that we can identify ourselves with, by dislodging ourselves from that, they're able to more easily control us and manipulate us. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I think that's the greater point that they're going for, the great part of the greater agenda that you were referencing there. Well, Bruce, uh, you just made me think while you were talking, a, a word that Alan liked to use, what he introduced me to this word is metanoia. And it, it's a a word that you think of in a religious term, it's a rebirth. It is a complete rebirth of a, it's the realignment of a person's psyche. And as you were talking, I was thinking about a a passage in um, Jung's The Undiscovered Self. And I'm not a big Jung fan or pushing him or anything like that. But he had some interesting things as he was going about making sense of the psyche in the world for himself. He talked about the role of religion and how it is used perhaps wrongly to make a mass man and that it was so unfortunate that that was the case because he said a society, a culture, a civilization is only as strong as each individual that is participating in it. What you're talking about, a moral and just society. And he said, unless each individual in the system has, I don't think he used the word metanoia, but you know, a, a complete shifting, a rearranging of your whole split so that you are a moral person. What does that mean? And it's an individual journey, but if we are a society composed of people who are unwilling to take that individual journey, then we do, we become immoral. And yeah, uh, to that, I, I think that's one of the now uh, being a Christian, I I tend to hound on Christians a lot, especially in well, our our America was founded on those principles, so I I tend to really um, hound on them because I exactly as you're saying, the individual Christian hasn't stood up for any of their so-called beliefs that they have. You know, the the things that we do in society consider moral and just. Christians haven't stood up for those things. So I, I tend to uh, attack Christians, not really attack, I, I, I spur them, I kick them in the butt a lot. Uh, because this is, this is kind of like, this is one of the things that Christians are supposed to be doing. Like, you're supposed to be standing against this evil. And, and what are they doing? They're just complacent. They go to their church. They uh, have the tickling of their ears in sermons. And then when it goes back to, you know, the, the daily grind, they, they have no... Uh, conviction, no, um, uh, you know, uh, well, metanoia, as you're talking about, no, no fundamental change of mind. There's nothing there. It, it's just uh, for show. It's a, it is a social club. That is how Alan yeah. described it. It's a social club and people feel good about going and showing up and they may even really heavily participate, be the deacon or, you know, on some committee or another or all kinds of things that they can do at their social club yep. but that is what it is and if you look at that the founder if you want to call it i mean i guess the founder of the religion would be paul but if you want to look at the man upon whose words paul founded christianity if you want to look at the life of jesus this is what he was modeling for individuals to fight a corrupt system that is what he was showing you in his world, in his lifetime. It was pharisaical thinking. It was money changers in the temple. 
You know, you, you know, money changers in the temple, let's just go way out on an esoteric branch here for a moment and say, well, is Goldman Sachs in your psyche because you're in a money system? And if you're in a money system, how many compromises do you make? And at the end of the day, then you are have a, a culture peopled with compromised people because we're in a money system. If that may be the root of all evils, I don't know, but it's up there. Yeah, that's, I mean, as far as religion is concerned, uh, Christianity, the love of money is the root of all evil. And uh, as you could attribute, as uh, we were talking earlier, you're more concerned about keeping your job or um, keeping your status. So you'll keep quiet or you'll go along with whatever the agenda is. That's exactly the same thing with Christians, just a slightly different. They're, they, It's not that they don't, you know, they might lose their job. It's that well, I might offend someone or I might hurt someone's feelings because uh, they're nicer than God, if you will. Uh, and that's not, uh, as you referenced there, uh, Jesus and the money changers. Uh, he had a whip. He was overturning tables. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, so. <laughs> he also offended people to the point that they wanted him executed and then did execute him. So that, yeah, that, that too. So, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of all this and and people having this psychological shift, Melissa, you're a very well-read individual. Let, let me ask you this. In your opinion, based on the research that you've done, what do you think at this particular point in time? You know, I, and I said to you last week that Alan was talking many, many years ago when people weren't listening. Now, I think more than ever, people have every opportunity and incentive to want to listen to what's actually happening and what's going to happen if they don't start paying attention. So in your opinion, because we're, we're getting close to time here, we've got about 10 minutes left. In your opinion, what do you think that event is going to be or chain of events is going to be that's going to snap people out of this this dream world? Is it an economic problem when they st when they finally see, as we've been talking about, their their 401ks, their savings accounts and everything just get wiped out, their money get f inflated away through hyperinflation from the central banks? In, in your opinion, what's it going to take for people to finally wake up and see reality? Oh, dear, that was loaded. And I have to tell you the truth. I don't think it's going to happen. We are going to have events. We will have uh, more financial meltdowns and crashes of economies. And we may go Lots on austerity, austerity, centralized currencies, all of the, you know, digital money credit system, Chinese social credit system coming the world over. All of these things will happen, I believe, because we're seeing it being instituted now. Will there be a wake-up moment? I think not. I think, sadly, the vast majority of the world will adapt. They will go along to get along. I think what we are faced with, and, and I'm not being gloom and doom here because individuals have consequence. You know, we were just speaking about uh, Jesus. Was that an individual who had consequence? Yes. So I, I think that there are, there is room for individual change. I know that Alan Watt was always speaking to individuals and was never hopeful for the crowd, was never hopeful for a mass change, one event that would turn everything around. I think sadly we're in a kind of a brave new world scenario where savages are the you know ones who have knowledge and we live on the fringes because we are disenfranchised from a system that we no longer want to participate in. And so sorry that was not positive, but maybe no, Weston no, no. has that's that's <laughs> actually I no, I, I just wanted to hear your take, whether it was it was happy go lucky or if it was gloom and doom. I wanted to hear your uh, your opinion on what you thought. I would add too, you know, a large part of this, and I have trouble with this. You know, I, I, you know, I told Melissa, you know, I wouldn't make a good spy. I'm not a good actor. The part of that too is you got to learn to wear a mask. Um, you know, you can't. Uh, they're just there's certain uh, aspects of the agenda that if you talk about with people, you're going to immediately be dismissed as a crazy person, and they will want to lock you up and medicate you. And no joke. So you have to be careful about what you say to and to whom. Siloing of information, Melissa calls it, and. Uh, there's there's something, you know, uh, of course, how I got around with this with not being a good actor is I just simply was a loner. But of course, that's not sustainable forever. So, you know, mask wearing, but also, you know, maybe there's we, there's also that joke that maybe, you know, a few 
people might be allowed in, in the Brave New World scenario, just like in the book, that they could live on some sort of reservation and uh, live without the old, more, you know, traditional way of life rather than you know, how, how people used to be allowed to live rather than on this uh, totalitarian and completely urbanized, overcrowded city uh, where you own nothing sort of system. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe a few lucky people. But other than that, I mean, the most people you're going to have to find, you know, a way to resist and also, you know, uh, you know, navigate sort of, uh, you know, pick, be, be tactful pick the right time to speak out, you know, or like you try to suss people out. Okay. Is, is this person likely to be awake or, you know, you think this, is this person right asking the right questions? Um, that sort of thing. And also support each other. Uh, you know, even, even people who aren't as awake as you are, you, you know, you don't agree with them on everything. You can still have humanity. You can still help each other out. That is such an important thing because I, yeah. I don't feel I'm not depressed about the future and I'm and I don't have like a doom and gloom thing. I'm OK in my head and I have something that I can share with other people and I'm grateful that I can. And at, at present, we have platforms from which we can share and we never you never know the ripple effect that the stone you toss across that lake is going to cause. You just don't know that. And so you do things in the spirit of of sharing truth. And that is what we can do. And, and I find that a very optimistic thing, but I don't believe in utopia. And I don't think one cataclysmic event will bring it about. That's a fair point. Uh, and I, I tend to agree with you. I'm not uh, hopeful, I guess, uh, about the future either, but I'm not depressed. I'm not sad. I'm very optimistic at the same time. I'm very focused on what we do. I mean, we put a lot of time and effort into what we do here, and it helps me, at least personally, in my own development. It helps me gain clarity and know that what we're doing and what you guys are doing, most of all, I mean, you guys you guys have an amazing treasure trove of information over at your website. It is, I, I can't even stress enough to, to people to get over to cuttingthroughthematrix.com and to take a look at your guys' work. You guys do fantastic work over there. And I... I think that is like that's that's a library for anybody that wants to learn or anybody that wants to find a starting point. And uh, I, absolutely. I, yeah, and, totally and I really do, I really do appreciate the work that you guys do over there, and I hope everyone else does as well. But you know, I, I talk to people, and and those that I do talk to, they're all like down, and they they're all sad and everything, and and I'm like, what are you sad about? And they're like, how can you not be sad? And I'm like, this is the most exciting time to be alive. Like we're we're living history. Yeah, we're living interesting times. We do. We do. We do. Like we're we're living history. People are going to write about this fifty, a hundred, a, a thousand years into the future about how crazy this time was, and and we're yeah, in it. Know, that, Johnny, I feel the same way too. I mean, I have I have sadness and and loss, but I, I mean, I, I and we work really hard here, as you do. With your site and your work, we work hard, but I love it. I, I, I love it because I'm doing something that I know is right and good and useful. And 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 I find it exciting. We and live in I, interesting times. <laughs> we, we certainly do. And, you know, I kind of harking back to uh, something you said earlier, I find myself in the same position. I'm like, I don't know enough. I didn't read enough into that subject. I've got to read more into it. And finding the time to do it while doing everything else and going through the motions of everything else is is like one of the biggest personal challenges I've ever had to face. It's like it's an addiction. Once you wake up and you understand what's going on in the world, it's an addiction to want to feed yourself knowledge. My grandfather always told me the greatest gift you can ever give to another person is the gift of knowledge. Yet somehow or another, he was still rah rah Republicans. We got to vote for Republicans. I, I don't understand that one, but I look at the future with hope and with optimism, but as individuals, not as the crowd or not as the group, as you said. And it's going to take every person being that independently minded free thinker that are going to have to develop communities of like minded people that are going to write this sinking ship or rebuild a sinking ship. You know, Bruce talked about the Constitution and how it was made for a moral and just people. The Constitution is not an error. The, the United States Constitution, it's not an error. We are. 
we're in error. We're in error for allowing the system to get to the point that it has, and it's got to be corrected. The Constitution and the system of government, the deconstruction of a monarchy and reconstructing it into a system of checks and balances, it puts chains on tyrants. That's what it's designed to do. That's exactly what needs to happen here. We've got tyrants running around with free hands, and we've got to put them in chains. And so I don't think remaking or or, um, saying that our system doesn't work where it's gotten us to now doesn't work. Yes, I agree with that. But our original constitutional republic, that concept, that has to be reborn, in my humble opinion. Well, I think it, I mean, maybe the simplest way, uh, I think it comes back to that word metanoia. It's an individual journey. Everyone has to decide that the most important thing for them is truth. And if, however they get there, if it's the next, what it, it's just so easy for people to get lulled back into habit and routine. And, you know, I, I, I do think on an individual level, um, there are events that happen in one's life that make you decide that you're dedicating yourself to this journey. But on a mass level that I don't see it. And I should have clarified that, you know, for me, I have had experiences that have shaped me and made me that I would never stop doing this. Um, So that's me on an individual level. It wasn't a bank crash or anything, you know, crazy like that. But experiences have happened that have changed me personally. And I, I, I think for each of us, that's what we hope for, that we stay committed to this journey truth. I want to thank both of you for being here today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you both on. Melissa, we hope you will come back and visit us. Uh, you're welcome back here anytime. Don't uh, don't you. be a stranger. You're welcome to come back okay. next week. And, and both we'd love to have you both on again, if you'd like. Well, I won't commit today to next week, but I will. I will come back on, I promise. And I appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. And it's an open-ended one at that. Uh, Weston, we will see you next week. Yeah, I'll be glad to come back next week. Fantastic. Again, I would like to uh, thank both of you for being here today. Again, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. I encourage all of our listeners to please go over and give their website a look. Dig through the, the, the unprecedented amount of information that they have over there and recommend it to other people. And please do give their products a look. And if you see something that stands out to you, please support them if you can. For those of you who'd like to send us some feedback, please do so anytime by sending us an email at dynamicpodcast.protonmail.com. Also, do you like the podcast you're listening to? We do love having you as a listener, and we would ask you to pass this along to five friends. If you know someone you're trying to wake up and get them to think on their own, we would appreciate it very much if you would send them our direction. I want to thank all of you for being here this evening. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a fantastic evening, and we will see you tomorrow.